the Bongcast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Bria, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Rocky and Megan. This month, we'll be talking about X-Wing Mercy Kill by Aaron Alston, in which there is laughter, there are tears, and you will not recruit my children for the wraiths! So grab your villa, <laughs> tune in, and enjoy the show! And hey, guys! Hello! Don't recruit Hello. my children for the wraiths. Um, any children I have, uh... Yeah, you probably shouldn't recruit them either. They might sign up on their own, though. <laughs> I was going to say that the youngest member of my household, a leopard gecko, would probably not be very helpful to their efforts, but with the things face plans in this book, he might be. Yeah, uh, I would not put it past Face Lauren to recruit a loth cat. <laughs> I need or a gecko. Five blasters, a concealing cloak, and a gecko. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if a if a kind of lazy and spoiled house cat would help out, I've got one of those around here, and I'm sure she'd be happy to join along. You know what? Face would probably recruit her, and your cat would look at him and be like, "Oh my god, Face, Face Lauren, Garrick, the Face Lauren." Probably. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna swoon. <laughs> Either that, or she would walk up to the target and like pee in their spaceship on the seat. It's a good distraction. Yeah. Hey, she did that to my car once. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Uh, we're going to start this see, episode with smells, and we're going to end it with smells. <laughs> it's like we planned it. No, we didn't. We did not plan that. Okay, time to get the not a spoiler warning out of the way, because the spoiler warning is dead. Long live the spoiler warning. We Bye-bye. no longer have the spoiler bat here on the Voncast, so expect us to talk about basically everything that's happened since the Unifying Force. And by everything that's happened, I mean, like, 20 books worth. Possibly more. A lot happened in the Star Wars universe. Uh, so that includes going through today's book pretty thoroughly. So you haven't finished reading it, go read the book and then come back to us or just listen to the podcast. I don't know. I'm not the boss of you. <sighs> so, so shall we talk about Mercy Kill? We shall. Our first post NJO, honorable NJO book. Yes, because we could not bring ourselves to end the Voncast quite yet. Um, as is tradition, a dramatic book summary reading. Which in this case is the front flap. And this is going to be interesting because once again, I haven't looked at it. No, I don't know if this one's going to be quite as gritty as the others. We'll it, find probably, out. it probably won't be, but we'll see. Three decades have passed since Wraith Squadron carried out its last mission. Taking on the most dangerous and daring operatives, the rogues and misfits of the elite X-Wing unit became legends of the Rebellion and the Second Galactic War before breaking up and going their separate ways. Now... Their singular skills are back in vital demand for a tailor-made Wraith Squadron mission. A powerful general in the Galactic Alliance army, once renowned for his valor, is suspected of participating in the infamous Lysarsen, there we go, conspiracy, which nearly toppled the Alliance back into the merciless hands of the Empire, with orders to expose and apprehend the traitor, and license to do so by any and all means. The race will become thieves, pirates, imposters, forgers, Dun, dun, dun. And targets as they put their guts, their guns, and their riskiest game plan to the test against the most lethal of adversaries. Wraith Squadron, license to thrill. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, it goes very nicely with pretty what do we blow up first. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess a quick reminder as to why we're talking about Mercy Kill, because basically nothing in that summary gave you any idea why we would talk about it. So it is X-Wing book number 10, which we never thought was going to happen, but then it did, and it was magical. Uh, and somehow, despite, again, there being about 20, no, oh, it's more than that. It's close to 30 books, probably, worth of content that take place between the Unifying Force and this one. It's probably the closest thing we have to a direct follow-up to the New Jedi Order. Because everything else seemed to just conveniently forget that the war happened. I mean, they knew the war happened, but it would be in these, like, weird throwaway lines that didn't really seem to be a part of the world building. (laughs) 
I think it affected the galaxy in a primarily geographical sense. Coruscant needed to be rebuilt, hyperlanes needed to be reconnected, but this is the first time we get a Yusan Vong character in that span of 30 books. Yeah. Um, So, I know you guys have read some of the books, but again, there's about 15-ish years worth of canon in between. I could double-check that number, but I don't feel like it. Uh, were you guys able to mostly follow the story without too much Wikipediaing? No. But I also <laughs> totally forgot what happened in Fate of the Jedi. And I also forgot that Mercy Kill was post-Fate of the Jedi. Oh, yeah, that would be a key, like, a key I, thing to know. I had thought that Mercy Kill, like, I have read it before this, but functionally I was reading it for the first time because... I remember it was a Wraith Squadron book, but that was, and like, I remembered Mary Antilles, but the only other thing I remembered was that I knew it was after Legacy of the Force, but I wasn't aware it was also after Fate of the Jedi. So I know I've read it before, but yeah, yeah, it took. Like, when I was reading this, thankfully, I was on a plane without Wi-Fi to distract me because I was actually taking notes, like, in the margins of my notes about where approximately we were in the time frame just to try to figure out, so what else did I miss in Fate of the Jedi other than Abeloth? And I still don't know what the plot actually was. (laughs) I I would have thought that not having Wi-Fi would have hurt you there because you couldn't just jump on Wikipedia and double check what the heck had happened. Uh, six hours and three time zones later, I would have also gotten no reading done. So uh, well, the yeah. lack of Wi-Fi was probably a useful thing for our purposes. <laughs> okay. What about I you, I didn't Megan? have trouble following any of what was going on. There were moments where I had to get from context clues what relationships were what. I definitely specialized in parts of the post-Return of the Jedi EU that were not fate of the Jedi, but the only thing that really made me raise an eyebrow and go, oh right, that happened. How the heck did that happen? You know what? I don't really care enough to look it up right now was how did Dala become chief of state? You know what? I read all of those books and I still don't understand how. <laughs> um, My personal theory still remains that she was one of the few people who was holding still long enough when they were trying to figure out who to put in charge and well uh they couldn't find anybody else in that moment and then three seconds later realized what they'd done i mean they had to have like dug her out of some deep dark bunker because oh, no, i don't no, she remember up in revelation wait we're totally okay with yes we're okay with spoilers yes I, rocky I... finally <laughs> Remember, so in Revelation, she popped up again because Pelion apparently had, like, her secret personal comlink line, and they had a signal, and, well, after Tahiri shot him, he he gave Dala the, we actually need you, because apparently she grew up and actually got some really good tactical skills, or a better author who did her better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one or the other don't, don't start me on my Dala feelings because the Jedi Academy trilogy was my major entry point into both legends and the Star Wars fandom as a whole so yeah <laughs> it's controversial but Dala deserved better oh she deserves so much better and I will happily fight about that <laughs> one of the reasons that I say that I went on context clues a lot for this was because while I didn't remember exactly what the lesser let let I kept pronouncing it Letcherson in my head. That's not how it's said. <laughs> Bria said it much better. Um I didn't really remember what the conspiracy was, but I could at least they ex- he explained in the book that it was a conspiracy to bring parts of the Empire back into power and I could say, okay, it's it's corrupt alliance officials like that explains why the wraiths are going after alliance officials that's really all the context i needed to know yeah i tossed i went on wikipedia afterwards just to refresh myself on all of it and uh according to them important members the empire and the galactic alliance again in parentheses dala is chief of state why we don't know uh tried to overthrow their leadership and bring back the empire slash install themselves as leaders it failed when the conspirators is general stabenthal 
And I was like, I think that's mostly what I needed to know, except that, you know, in between Jason Solo decided to fall to the dark side, tentacles happened. It was a mess. We don't need to talk about that. The Yusun Vong are ostensibly still on Zonama Seacoat, but we never see that. Ever. No. no. It's incredibly frustrating to me, which is why I think... So let's just go ahead and talk about the Yuzin Vong. Um, or would you, do you want to go straight down the notes and talk about? Well, the only thing we, we can do either way. I think okay. it makes sense to start with the Wraith. So the one okay. thing I want to add is that I've been on this, this train for like 15 years because I wrote fanfic about what was going on with the Yusun Vong in the intervening time period like 15 years ago so <laughs> there's this is a long history of me having feelings about this that's amazing meanwhile i'm pretty sure i wrote fanfic about the wraiths the next gen race because of this book it's what got me back into writing star wars fanfic <laughs> um so one of the big themes of the book uh is the trauma of war and we see Piggy, who's going by the name of Root, and I'm sorry, I can't actually pronounce it very well, because there's this about the double O and the R and the T that just get me. So I'm going to call him Piggy for most of this, so I'm sorry, because I'm the worst. He's When we see him, it's been a while since the, what, almost 20 years since the Yuzen Vong War um, ended. And he's carrying a lot with him, because he's now a mathematics professor. He doesn't really love it. Because in his last fight... He had to kill his best friend, Runt, in a mercy kill because he mm. was going to die otherwise and struggle, not struggle, uh, suffer greatly. And for me, the question is always like, how, how do you move on from that? Um, and I think this is one of the few books we've seen in Legends, not necessarily current canon, that really confronts that issue head on because we've seen people die before, but we haven't seen something quite like this. And I felt like it was reflective of how the USN Vong war as a whole had been for people. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. The tone of this book was very good. I thought in terms of it is in a white conversation between the new Jedi order and it's, it's grittiness which I kind of put in quote marks, but we've had so many podcasts to talk about what the nature of the grittiness is. I don't think I really need to detail it right now. <laughs> um, to, like that tone compared to the more adventurous, quick tone of some of the X-Wing books and of Wraith Squadron in particular, not that they don't have emotion to them, but it's a different tone. And this book is very funny at points. It's very energetic at points. And then when, when it flashes back to the war, the, there's this such sense of heaviness during that war. And you feel that Piggy's never really gotten over this. And that I found the, the emotion in this one to be really sincere and to be kind of about Piggy is kind of unable to move on from this. And it's how he figures out how to move on from it and figures out what he wants to do because for a while he's telling them no like I wanted to be a professor I wanted to retire and people have to tell him like but did you though and there are some conversations to that regard why civilian life didn't work for him that I found very interesting yeah yeah because like I could tell all of the baggage and how it takes a really long time within this book before before Piggy actually gets to the point of realizing how bad it is and being able to confront it. This book felt like it was a lot more open about how traumatic the years of war had been for a great many people instead of, yes, now that I think of it, I very much do agree that Legacy of the Force, Fate of the Jedi. Oh yeah, we know there was a Yuzhan War. We know that all sorts of awful things happened. But back to today's plot. Instead of actually examining the longer term fallout of it. And awful things keep happening. Like mm -hmm. Bindi's death is such yeah. a such a moment. So I don't want to make it sound like this book is like every other book is lighter than the New Jedi Order. Because that's not true. 
but you feel the kind of psychological effect in it in this one in a different way. Yeah, and I think you made a really great point before about how this is totally different, including from the other X-Wing books. Um, I think I keep forgetting every time I pick it up that even though I know there's all that trauma in there and it's going to break my heart every time I turn to chapter 17, uh, I forget that it's not quite as not quite as balanced with the humor. Um, and I had totally forgotten what happened to Bindi up until I was getting to that chapter and I went, oh no. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally forgot also. That was especially difficult coming from knowing her in the New Jedi Order. Like, she's 30 years older now, but we just spent a whole bunch of books with her. Yeah. Um, especially right after you're, you're reunited with Char, because up until that point, Piggy was the only one of the wraiths that we were seeing that we knew from before. I mean, we kind of knew Mary because she popped up in Legacy of the Forest because, of course, Aaron Alston is going to use it until he's in there. Um and we saw Face some, but he wasn't really out on the mission. And so for me, I, when we saw Char, I was like, oh, cool. We've got we've got Piggy, we've got Bindi. All right, maybe we're getting some of the old band get back together. And then everything went downhill from there. Um, so, go ahead. I have a question, just because you know the cast better than I do. Yeah. Was Jasmine... Um, in the wraiths before like where did she come from because i had totally forgotten there was a force using character in this book at all do i remember her from fate of the jedi yes you do Okay, okay so so here's the thing um in if you remember back when luke was talking to kel in the first of the aaron alston books he mentions tyria right and he says something about her traveling around with their son doran when they announced this cast and we saw Jasmine Tainer was on there, we were like, wait, what the heck is going on? So we actually had we had the opportunity to ask Aaron Alston about this at Dragon Con right after the book came out. And he told us that, yeah, Jasmine, she's also Kel and Tyria's daughter, hence how she has the Force ability because, you know, Tyria also had the Force. Uh, and she, was, she and Dorne were mostly raised separately from each other, including... Once the Wraiths figured out how bad the war was going to be, they deliberately separated the kids. Um, Tyria kept Doran with her, and they sent Jasmine back to uh, Topra. Top- I can never pronounce it. Where the Rangers were, so okay. that way, and that way, um, if something happened to like one of them, the whole family wouldn't die. Okay, but she was from that family. And... Yes, she's okay. yeah, she's Kel and Tyria's daughter. I think she's she's younger than Doran, um, and obviously she's named for Jasmine Akbar. But yeah, and then oh, so she was in Fate of the Jedi very briefly, but not actually named because she mentions that bounty hunter thing she was before, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the Zilashka or whatever it is. So there's a point where in Fate of the Jedi. Dala, I think th- some of the Jedi are going crazy who were out in the Maw, um, including I think this one was including the Horn siblings. Yeah, yes. the Horns were the first, right? Yes, I remember they were early on, and I thought there was a Tainer child who was also. So Dor, no, Doran was fine because he didn't. He was never in the Maw, but Jasmine, in her disguise as the bounty hunter, was one of the people who was there to detain and capture. I think it was Dor- I think it was Valen. So she was never actually named. It was was more of a retroactive thing. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the uh for catching me up anyway. No pro- yes. I will talk about the Tainer family and the tragedy and how like them splitting their kids up is such a painfully real thing from war even in our world. Oh, yeah. You mentioned chapter 17, so I just turned there because I happen to have the book. And it's, of course, it's the Mercy Kill chapter. It's where yes. you find out what happened to Piggy. It starts your understanding of why he hates the use on Vong, which then leads to this other extremely painful conversation later in the book where um, the, the use on Vong like, trooper explains what he thought was going on with Piggy, which is not at all what 
Piggy thought was going on. And I love that chapter, too, because it hurts my heart. But this one, the thing that struck me about it was Runt forgives him. Like, Piggy says, forgive me. And Runt does, like, just before Piggy kills him. And that is so important, I think, because Piggy knew that the whole time, but he still couldn't forgive himself. And other people weren't blaming him. I Under most circumstances, the other people didn't see this as something horrible. I mean, it, it is horrible, but they don't see it as a cruel like thing that he did that means he shouldn't come back. They want him to come back and be the person he was before, and he himself cannot get over it. Yeah, which is, I, I think, understandable and interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. none of his, none of the other wraiths. I mean, it's called a mercy kill for a reason. As it in, would have been a very different story if they had not seen it as mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it is. Uh, there was no real way it, the amphistaff venom. Hmm. The only reason Runt was still alive at the time was because his alien system was processing it slightly differently. But he would have just remained alive and suffered and then kept suffering. Um, And I think that's why this chapter hurts so much is, yeah, we've seen wraiths die before who've had incredibly close friendships, but we've never seen not quite like this. Yeah. Um. Megan, did you want to talk about that other chapter, actually? Sure. I first want to acknowledge that I'm trying really hard to have serious conversations about characters called Piggy and Scoot, and it's work. It's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I can't believe his name is Vile Scoot, and they just made me say that. (laughs) So the other chapter is about Scoot or Scut both of them are not fun to say, um, is the Sunbong soldier. Oh, what? Scoot is much more entertaining, at least. Yeah. I've been saying Scott, but... <laughs> Scoot, Scoot! And he um, is one of the rapes, right? But as soon as Piggy comes in, Piggy does not trust him. And his thing is that he wasn't even raised by Yusun Vong. He doesn't have a terror of machines. And he also doesn't have any interesting information about like what's going on with the Yusun Vong now, because he was a war orphan and was raised by humans, which probably was a very kind of an interesting upbringing too. You see a little bit about his parents and kind of why they Ask did. Ask me what about they did. this later. I have tons of opinions, but. <laughs> I mean, you can voice them now. Yeah, we, you, no, finish your, Megan, finish your thought before I, I run off on a tangent, please. Okay. The, so when they, when he and Piggy first meet, they have a confrontation. And later on, um, Scoot tells Piggy that he was kind of raised on stories of how heroic the wraiths were. And that how much it hurt him that the first time they met, the first time he met Piggy, who was one of the originals, Piggy treated him like he was an enemy and how painful that was and how that was the moment when he met his hero and his hero couldn't look past what species he was, couldn't wait for an explanation. And that is so painful to me because in a way it's something that Piggy couldn't have guilt about or didn't have guilt about, but it was like a pain he was causing another person for a good reason the whole time and didn't even know he was causing it. And they had to have this, they had to be kind of stuck together and have this conversation for that reveal to come out. And that idea of the way his traumas then spread out and kind of hurt other people, but that the conversation enables that to be dissipated and enables them to come to an understanding was, I think, a really good emotional linchpin in this. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. I don't know what else I could possibly add to it. <laughs> okay. No, you, Rocky, you nailed it you right gonna... on the head. Yeah. Um, the only thing I think of is it just it just made me think of uh, there's a moment, and again, in the Alston books in the New Jedi Order, uh, where Jaina meets Piggy for the first time. And she's talking to him and Char, and she says something about Han being like telling her little stories about Piggy when she was a kid, you know, the Gamborian who became a fighter pilot because they were, you know, you can become anything you want. And it's interesting to me, you know, that even though he had heard that before, that he has been this 
hero, this sort of symbol of being able to accomplish things, even though I don't think he necessarily has realized it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's to me, it's like I agree with you that he's that symbol of you can be what you want. And for a Yusan Vaughn character to hear like you can fight on the side of the alliance, that's got to be really inspiring. But then, like the whole time, Piggy didn't know that he was the powerful one in that situation. I mean, he did because he was squad leader at that point, but he didn't understand how his power was affecting someone else, which is a thing that happens in the real world also. Rocky, what were you going to say? So, I was... All right. So, I was actually quite fascinated because Scoot is... He's Yu Bong. He's been adopted by clearly quite loving human parents. His human parents have done a truly spectacularly poor job of preparing him for the fact that he's Yu Bong in a galaxy that's going to have justifiable negative reactions. So I am an adopted kid myself. And what I find interesting is Star Wars is a universe that tends to have a very positive portrayal of adoption, which is another reason I fell into this fandom, realizing as a little kid, wait, Luke and Leia are both adopted too, and it's totally normal. This is cool. And then seeing a lot of Scoot's experiences of oh, wait a minute, I am a species that nobody likes. How do I deal with human parents who mean well, but just simply cannot prepare him for how do you deal with being cut off entirely from your original culture, regardless of all of its problems? And then how do you deal with the universe is going to see Scoot as Yuzhan Vong without considering much else? And I have run into a lot of adopted kids, like particularly transracially adopted kids like myself, who have run into the human version of that. And Scoot earned a soft spot in my heart because there were moments of, I thankfully not on that level, but this is something I understand. And this is something I think plenty of people have like plenty of us adopted kids have seen happen at some point or another. I just kind of found it fascinating and made me like this book a lot more. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought that about Luke and Leia either. Yeah. Huh. It really caught my eye quite a bit because same thing. Like I could see a lot of the moments of where Scoot wanted to try to did not really know how to deal with, I get why they don't like Yu Bong, but how do I get them to like me for who I am? <laughs> I'd be yeah. really curious about what his upbringing was. Yeah. Like, have there been conversations like this on the playground? Has he ever met anyone of his species before? What did his parents tell him? What did his parents' neighbors think? Like, there's so much yeah. there. Did his parents ever tell him anything or did they just try to sweep it under the rug? How old was he when he first started figuring out like the neoglyph maskers and things like that? Has that been a thing since he was fairly young? Mm, Yeah, because even though he's not in that society, he like gravitates toward biotechnology and that's his role in the team. Yeah, can we talk about that tech for a minute? Because uh, yeah, <laughs> I I thought it was so cool that he has because this is why I, I feel like he has to have spent at least some time with other yes Yuzen Vong is you don't create like next gen not Vong Vong tech without having that basis of knowledge. I'm right? positive that at some point in his life, probably adulthood he did actually decide to learn more about where he came from and what his people were like and ended up picking up a whole bunch of useful biotech. Clearly he went and spoke to Magister Nenyim, who is alive and well. Definitely. I agree. Um, guys. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, did you guys have any more thoughts on like some of the, the, cool disguises and like he was able to make because number one he had the what they call the neoglyph is what you said right Mm -hmm. yes the maskers which sound like a much better way of handling a disguise than having to do makeup and everything um and then when he literally they literally had to create a new species with uh oh my god what did they call him embassy 
Him climbs. He climbs. <laughs> All the descriptions of him were so gross. And just the end with like how the thing is dying and it was all it was all yes. very disgusting and very and, funny and Poor they, were, they were going to go straight home basically but then there was an emergency shower needed <laughs> yes he's like just give me some sand sandpaper anything yes oh yeah we ran him through an airspeeder wash just uh without the airspeeder <laughs> that's one of those moments where like i can't tell if it's supposed to be literally true or if they're just messing around it's funnier I mean, if i take it literally so i decided to honestly they probably told it i bet Terman thought they were kidding and then they showed up and they actually did it <laughs> because that's a very Wraith squadron thing to do yes 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 i i approve so much and reading this book on a crowded plane i think my seatmates had some questions about me considering the amount that i was going between i'm not going to cry in public about this versus i'm about to actually explode laughing <laughs> which is really just the aaron alston x-wing rate squadron experience very true if you're not crying one page and laughing the next, is it really a, an Aaron Alston book? No, probably not. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about as far as the Scut and, or sorry, Scoot and Piggy and the whole trauma of war part? Or did you want to move, or can we move on to the next section? Mm, I, I think that's everything. I, I like the points you made about how he's, his technology might have been, like, learned from other Yusan Vong. The fact that his own masker always had a creepy smile on it was not necessary, I don't think. Of course not. <laughs> no, he totally put that masker on it, put the creepy smile on the masker, just be like, look, if everyone's going to complain about this, I'm going to give them something to complain about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have all sorts of... I have all sorts of funny little notes here and there, but so far I don't I don't think any of them are trauma of war related, so yeah. Okay. In which case, let's move on to a legacy. What is a legacy? It's it's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. Um sorry, I breathe and I spit out Hamilton quotes. Um I thought another I guess another big part of this book is that of legacy, because not only is Wraith Squadron a group that's been a around for a while, although it, hasn't quite been 30 years since they disbanded like the front flap cover wanted us to think uh just been like 30 years since they were originated but you also have members of the team who's either parents or in Rand's case his aunt were on the team um because you have mary and jasmine so mary is obviously wedge and tilly's daughter jasmine as we covered already is um Kel and Tyria's daughter, and then Ran Narcassin, who is basically Orlando but a sniper, is possibly one of my favorites in this book. And he's he just was like, he's very just, cool, right? He just has this cool hip cloak, and I'm like, I love you. Uh, he's Shalon Nelprin's nephew, who we saw for a little bit in one of the flashbacks. Um, did you guys like that we had that connection to the team? Since again. Piggy was the only original Wraith that we really got to see throughout the book. Yes. I liked I, I liked the passing of the torch feeling. It, it made like, sense. There's a next generation. Was, part of me was a little bit like nepotism. Hmm. <laughs> but they know who's good at their jobs. Like these are people that have been training for this since they were kids in some cases. So it makes sense. They know they pull from those families and uh that's kind of one of the big themes of star wars right is kind of legacy yeah um i i laughed a little bit uh when the two teams run into each other and bindi's like you took my sniper char how dare you because she also had her eye on Ra on recruiting ran since they create face decided i'm gonna make two teams of wraiths and just have them running around not know that they exist because that makes sense um the scene where Rand and Piggy calculate shooting the tank, like destroying the the heavy mm -hmm. weapon when they're besieged was so cool. Yeah, I like that he was like, oh, I'm doing the math in my head. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, 
And then, of course, you have legacy as it relates to Miri being the daughter of Wedge Antilles. And she has a very interesting... She's got a great quote um, towards the start of the book when Piggy's talking to her and he's like, what are you doing here? I thought you were doing a really good job on the air adventure, which she was doing amazing, making lots of money um, as a gambler. And then she has this conversation where she goes, you must be so proud. And Piggy goes, what? Of whom? And her response is, that's what they tell me, mostly about daddy. Wedge and Tilly's daughter, you must be so proud. And I am. Some people know about mom's career. You must be so proud. And I am. Some people know about my sister's record in the last war. You must be so proud. Yes, yes I am. But maybe it's time for someone to be proud of what I do. Maybe even me. And then Piggy's response is, most of the people I'm proud to have known died making me proud, Mary. Mm. Ouch. He's got that, well, as long as you're above the ground, don't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. don't think about it too much, but so focused on what happened to the other people that also had pride in what they did. Yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about it because we have, I mean, obviously we've seen it with the solo kids who have to struggle with not only being the kids of heroes, but also part of that Skywalker line. But I feel like we haven't necessarily seen it quite as much for someone more like Mary, whose bloodline isn't of galactic shattering consequences, but still has to figure out how to make her own place in the galaxy and who was too young to make that mark in the, in the Yuuzhan Vong war. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's an interesting point about she is yeah. maybe the youngest of the team. So she has a different perspective on the war. Either she or Jasmine are going to be the youngest. And, and Miri is the one who hasn't killed anyone before. Yeah. That was an interesting oh. point. Yeah. I, was... I definitely wanted to kind of hug Miri a few times and just tell her she was going to be okay. She that feels was... so young. That conversation had to be delicately handled, I think, because there's a way to write in an in an like mostly positive universe like Star Wars. There's a way to write one hero telling another you might have to kill someone in war who's trying to kill you. There's a way that comes off as callous and there's a way that comes off as almost sweet and kind of full of loyalty and protectiveness, which is the way it was done in this book. Yeah, that's interesting to think of because, I mean, again, we're coming off of the New Jedi Order where Anakin was, what, 15 at the start? Yeah. And we know they've killed all of that... The solo kids have been killing people since they were, like, 13 and 14 in the Young Jedi Order. Yes, yes. Like, it feels almost like the solo kids and that generation had to grow up so fast. And kids like Miri don't realize that, but also don't realize how good of a thing that is. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the current conversation about Cal in Jedi Fallen Order, which is a little bit of a tangent, but I do find a fascinating conversation, which is what is it in 2019 to follow a Jedi hero who kills casually? And that is not the same as Miri. I think part of the reason her conversation works is because death is not treated casually. But I I like that conversation and I want to see where it goes with regards to the hero, like, war is in the name. The heroes are going to be killers, but in what way are they? Yeah. That's actually making me think about Raid Squadron as a whole, because generally speaking, they're the pranksters. They're the ones who do the ridiculous things, like ride surfboards down through the atmosphere of Coruscant. Um and or then they like, make jokes about it. Yeah, or like jokes around here usually involve stealing your clothes. You're still dressed. I wrote yeah. that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, but then also it feels like the wraiths are the ones who who carry death with them. And who, and who bear, because like, the original squadron was built up of screw-ups. People who were on their last chance, um, 
And you saw that a lot in how they would respond to things as opposed to how a group like Rogue Squadron would respond to things. Um, that's just interesting to me where I, I feel like that's something that these books have always done well is they find humor in things, but they also they also take the seriousness seriously. Mm-hmm. It's that's not- a bad sentence, sorry. <laughs> I kind of get what you're seeing it though, or get what you're coming where you're. I can do phrases. <laughs> I get where you're coming from because Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron have very different senses of humor, but neither of them are what I would call fatalistic humor. They're both like it's humor around the war, not about the war so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but then, oh man. This book makes me so sad, and I just want to hug everyone. Like, mm. the point where they sort of blew up face, well, not sort of blew up, but where they faked face's death, I went, no, mm-hmm. don't you dare. And then, I mean, obviously he's he's fine, which is good, because if Alston had actually killed face, I was going to sob hysterically, and I think I did worry and cry a little bit. But then it was balanced with earlier in the chapter with the science denying equa- denying Qualish. It was just like, <laughs> gravity is a myth. <laughs> and then in that same chapter, you get like, what happens if you pull a Twi'lek's head tails off? Like, the tone was all over the place, but it worked. It, this book, in many cases, and Bria, tell me if this is actually based on Aaron Olsen's kind of history. I don't know if it is or not, but it felt a lot like a really good tabletop adventure like a Dungeons and Dragons type story where you can have humor because of the interplay between the people but then also this it's an adventure with a lot of twists and turns like I I didn't remember whether face was alive I didn't remember the kind of triple cross at the very end so it was a good ride yeah I mean I'm pretty sure Alston got his start in gaming that's what I thought I could not I wasn't sure yeah and I I actually say that that vibe he I always really went do. to uh, Origins in Ohio, which is that big gaming convention. Um, but no, that's a really good point about how they about how he balances because this really could be a D and D adventure now that you yes. now that you say that. Like everything from the hilarious critical fails to your DM will totally give you brownie points for an absolutely ridiculous way of solving a problem. The whole thing in the bunker underneath the museum felt very much like, you know, roll to try to distract those guards or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite parts was when they first get on that cruise and um, it's Trey, right? Muscle boy is Trey. Mm-hmm. And yep. he's going through all the things that they have to do. And Bindi's like, okay, go do them. And he was like, but I was going to sleep. And she's like, no, we don't have that much time. Go do them. He's like, I already did them. Can I sleep? She's like, will you marry me? (laughs) Yes. That was very good. Yeah. I think that was also one of the things that emphasized how a lot, there were a lot of quote unquote kids on this team of wraiths and they felt so much younger than a lot of the wraith, the original wraiths did. Um, not just Mary, but like with Trey and then Jasmine is younger, Ran is younger, and I think oh, I can never remember his name. I'm so bad with names. The one she Mary was flirting with. There are a lot of names in this book. I definitely couldn't keep track of everybody. And that was one of the problems with it there being so many new characters, unfortunately. There were a couple moments where I was confused, including after the 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 yacht scene after they went to the party and they captured the Imperial ship. I was kind of like, I can't follow this plan. And I'm not sure if that's a me thing or a book thing. Mm-hmm. The one yeah. at the, at the very beginning or when they got oh, on the no. cruise ship and then oh, they got on the okay. Imperial ship. Okay. Sorry. The rates have a tendency to capture fancy ships a lot. <laughs> like in yeah. the first the opening chapter where they're just like, Oh yeah, we stole this yacht. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yes, fine. Oh. And everyone's just going, oh, they stole a yacht. Eh, must be Tuesday. <laughs> I'm actually surprised it's taken us this long to talk about that opening chapter, which also includes the exotic dancing Gamorians, which are a recurring theme in this book. 
I yes. just kept like crying, laughing at that. <laughs> it's like, my favorite. <laughs> this plane is going to have so many questions about me was like my only major thought. Oh no! <laughs> like, why am I like laughing this hard? I'm not complaining. And I like that, like, it's funny, but he's also not the butt of the joke. Oh, he's no. having a good time. He's having a good time, and like, people are loving it. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, it's a good distraction. Sure. Like, it's an excellent distraction. <laughs> and how everyone's like, wait, where are your clothes? Oh right, right, squadron business. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Like how he incorporates like ancient art into the dance. Like when he runs out of dance moves, he's like, I'm gonna like make moves in this ancient frieze that I know from a museum. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Oh man. Dancing. You'll believe a Gamorian can dance. I've never (laughs) seen someone do that cosplay before. This Mm. is a challenge, listeners. If any of you should wish. That's next level. <laughs> I did I did want to do a Miri costume at some point, but I never got around to it before Aaron passed, unfortunately. Um, so actually, I wanted to talk... So the opening chapter uh, was actually one of the few times we saw some of the original rates. And I remember the first time I read the book, I loved Mercy Kill, and I was so glad we got to read it. But it also, the opening chapter also made me sad that we didn't get more of that original team because I connected so strongly with characters like Kel and Shala and Face. And we we barely got to see them in this book. Um, was that something that was a thing for you guys too? Or did you not care as much about only getting cameos from them? Unfortunately, well, I think the character work in this book was really good. I didn't latch on to anybody. So there was a bit of a feeling of, I wish we had some more time instead of having this very large cast. But I think that's more, uh, that's, that is definitely more on my side than on the book side. I think the characters were done really well. I just had trouble latching on to anybody except Peggy. Yeah, and I wonder if it would have made a difference if we had... Because the Wraith books tend to be to focus on a character, despite being an ensemble cast. This was very much Piggy's book. So I wonder if it would have been different if we had had our focus character be one of the new kids. Yeah, I think it might have been. But I also admit I was not as attached to, to the original Wraiths as you were, Bria. <laughs> but yeah, I also, at this point in the timeline, even if it had been after Legacy of the Force like I had originally thought, I still think that at this point in the timeline, I'm glad to have gotten kind of a new cast of characters and that kind of passing the torch feel. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, it's nice to see newer faces introduced. Because the next generation. That brings us right back to, you will not recruit my children for the wraiths. That was my yeah, favorite that. cameo in the entire book, mm-hmm. uh, where Laura Nossel, me, Kearney Slane, as she is now, shows up for the rescue after <laughs> after Mary calls her, like, you know, who do you call when you need help? Obviously, you call Daddy. And mm-hmm. Wedge borrows two X-Wings, him and Tycho come and, like, bail them out just because <laughs> Mary calls him. <laughs> I love the quotes about Tycho. Yes. And then... Kearney Slade shows up in her, you know, Dona Slane excursion thing and is just yelling at Piggy the entire time, like, don't you dare recruit my children. I know. I know what you're going to do. Don't you do it. And Piggy's like, I'm not going to recruit your children. Yes. It was odd having read this and Resistance Reborn, which features, you know, Cannon Wedge in very quick succession. Yeah. I was half expecting Nora Wexley to show up. Oh, man. <laughs> My brain also has tons of entertainingly crossed wires every time I flip between Legends and Canon. Yeah, like I, we've said this throughout that I know the difference. I know which is which, but I enjoy the mental pictures that happen when I let those barriers crumble a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love all of the silly little crossed wires that my brain comes up with. It's endlessly entertaining. See, here's what you just have to remember. Wedge will always fall in love with a presumed widow whose husband will come back and not actually, you know, 
they'll be somewhat corrupted by the Empire, and then death will happen, and then they'll get together eventually and get married. You know, I started Starfighters of Adamar after I finished this, because I haven't read Starfighters of Adamar in forever. And, yeah. (laughs) I love that He just happens to be a pilot, also. Yeah. Oh, speaking of cameos, the Ton Fanon fake-out? What the hell? That was uh, that was another case where I was like, "Is this really? Is Ton Fanon really alive?" And then by the time the the actor was clearly portraying him, I was like, "Okay, this is a yes. whole thing." But I was not sure whether I was missing something from the EU, and like, should I know whether he's alive right now? No, because and that threw. I remember that always throws me. I'm like, "Where the heck? What what is going on?" Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He built uh, all those prosthetics for him to make him look like he'd been brought back from the dead. It's Face does not do anything halfway. No, he certainly I, does not. I feel like this mission could have gone so much better if he had just had a team, a focused team, and been like, go kids. <laughs> well, yes, he was- that would have been much less entertaining than I'm Wraith Squadron. No, I'm Wraith Squadron. <laughs> Face was playing four-dimensional chess there by the end. Did you like the triple cross at the end, or did it feel like it was too much? Because I liked it, but I was also like, what is this, like a Sherlock Holmes situation? Like, everything had to be perfectly in line for it to work. By the end of the book, I was expecting shenanigans. So at that point, it was like, well, nothing, not even a dancing Gamorrean wandering through the scene could have actually surprised me. (laughs) (laughs) And then a dancing Gamorrean wandered through the scene. (laughs) Yep. I I do like that the rates are going to keep being a thing though. They'll just be off the books and which means they can probably get away with piracy again because that's the rates MOs when in doubt turn to piracy. Um But yeah, no, I I I ended up liking it. It it made it made things make sense when I went back and thought of how everything was going on. Mhm. Um, and I'm just glad Face is alive because he's always been one of my favorite ones of the original rights. Like him and Kel were my faves. Um, speaking of Kel, I very much appreciated that once Peggy was like, okay, we're not doing numbers. We're going to do this Kel Tainer style. You, <laughs> you're a tree girl. Yes. <laughs> you. Um, I actually, yeah, and I liked really that Jasmine and uh, Hahuna fought over who was going to be tree girl. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, you precious babies. Um, so yeah, was there anything else about the book you guys wanted to talk about that I missed before we get into listener questions, which unsurprisingly, there are a fair number of them this week? I don't think so. Rest in peace, Bindi. That was the fact that they kind of covered her up gently before she was used to essentially detonate the building was so, was very touching. And then we get in the same book, the other conversation that I made a note of just because it was really funny was the whole conversation about whether anyone can hear you scream in space, which <laughs> made me laugh. Rocky? Uh, nothing extra that I can think of, really. All right, then on to listener questions. Brian asks, what are your best coping strategies to deal with Aaron Alston ripping your heart out of your chest? Well, if you find Ooh. any, please let us know. Hmm. Mine apparently involves deciding after the book first comes out that you're going to take a stuffed horse you happen to have lying around the house because you used to be a horse girl and make it an X-Wing pilot uniform. And then you take a picture of the stuffed horse who is now Runt next to the angry angry bird's pig with a, <laughs> with a helmet on who your friend has made to be Piggy. And then you take a picture of them together with a blaster right there. Oh, no. As part of our gender swap squadron group. That was nope. apparently my coping strategy. It was fine. No nope. one's <laughs> ever accused me of having effective coping strategies. I had some chamomile tea in the course of reading this. That was nice. I just dragged everyone down with me on Twitter. It was great. Is that not how you're supposed to do it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Brian, we have no coping strategies for you. Uh, Nancy asks, whose death was more painful, Ton or Runt? I think my answer was Runt. 
Because I, I will admit, I was not, I don't remember Tan's death, so I have to default to Runt. Tan dies on a mission with Face, who is his best friend, and he has the line, it's up there again, and then he dies, and in his will, he basically bullies Face into trying to move past his guilt for the things he did as a child actor working for the Empire. Uh, it's super effective, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because Tan couldn't... Tan was dealing with a lot of... Tan was depressed. And he was never able to find a way to to, to cope um, before he died on a mission. But he was able to help his best friend even after he passed. Hmm. That's in the running, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a really good scene at Iron Fist. Uh, and it hurts a lot, but like... I feel like for me it has to be Run's death because it's still it's still more raw for me. I don't know. I think I would also have to say Run's death just because of how much of that is important to the plot of this book. And it's been a good long while since I last read Iron Fist. You should do that next. Well, read Wraith Squadron and then read Iron Fist. I may... Uh, am I going to set myself up for a next wing reread at some point? Yes, yes, of yes. course I am. Do, oh, just do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and then we have several questions from Odie, unsurprisingly. Question one is, do you think Faye still keeps Serini glass prowlers in memory of Tawn? I'm going to go no. I feel like any pets probably did not survive the Yuzen Bong War. Yeah, sadly. Uh, Odie also asks, what did you think about legacy race getting new aspects to their personalities, like Runt becoming a prankster and Bindi becoming fatally overprotective? That was another moment of realization that I think was done really well in this book when Piggy, I think it's Piggy, realizes that Bindi was seeing the others as kids. So I liked that. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I think the prankster thing for Runt felt very... I think it felt like a natural evolution because you don't stay, you don't stay the same person that you were 30 years ago. Um, that's a very Wraith thing to do to become a prankster. Uh, next question is there anyone you could think of who needs to hear Piggy's words about redemption? There's gotta be someone out there. Does anyone have the quote for this on hand? Because I was just flipping through looking for the, that particular moment. Um, uh, the answer technically is no, apparently. Okay. Uh, no, I do not. But I also had this book electronically. So. Is it in the back? Do you remember vaguely when it is? I thought it was a couple chapters from the end because it was part of a conversation before Face's reveal, I think. Is it one we has with... Unfortunately, my answer may be I need to refer to the exact lines to tell you. But of yeah. course, redemption is a big thing in Star Wars right now. Feels like a somewhat targeted question. It does. I wasn't sure how targeted that was supposed to be. How raised are the eyebrows in this question, Odie? I would like an illustration from Nenya, please. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Yes. Pay us. Pay us Corgi tribute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm usually good at flipping through books and finding these things. I do think this we answered this or at least touched on it a little bit earlier with the fact that Piggy was doing something that he was asked to do. Um, he was not uh, he wasn't he 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 did what was necessary. And then with Scoot, he because I think this might be is this part of their conversation? Maybe he's I also think so. A pretty unique situation because he was not, he was never part of the Yusanbong army. He was raised away from that. Um, so. Because he was a part of the shamed ones, right? Yes. yes. And he was like a toddler when he was adopted. 
Oh, I wish I could find this exact conversation, then I could have a much better answer for you. Does he actually use the word redemption? I don't know. I'm trying to, like, control F, but I have a physical copy. Because, I mean, 279 is where him and Scoot have their conversa- their big conversation. Let's see. I want to queue up good podcast content and not just be flipping through books going. Hmm, we're already we're so far past that. I, we've already spent the last three minutes flipping through our books trying to figure this one out. So. <laughs> also, uh, yes, I think we're more entertaining podcast content than anything else. So, yeah. Oh, right. This is going to bother me now. Anyways. OK, fine. Let's get to his last question, which is very super serious. After all, it's been through. What does Coruscant smell like now? My first thought was it smells like mushrooms. And I don't know if this is a thing, but after the rain, like when a lot of mushrooms pop up, they smell, I think. And I think it smells like that. And I hate it. (laughs) I know what smell you're talking about. To me, it's a smell that reminds me of like a wet forest. Like, forest after rain. I kind of like that smell. I can't beat that answer. So, mushrooms after the rain, Odie. It's been determined. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. All right. Any last thoughts about about Mercy Kill? I'm glad I got the chance to reread it. I remembered really liking the structure, and I still really liked the structure, even if I got lost during some of the shenanigans. I'm really glad I got to reread it, because I remembered approximately 0% of it, and it was pretty awesome, all things considered. Yeah. Feels like the right, even though, like we said, it's a much darker book than some of the other Wraith books have been, it felt like a nice bit of a breath breath of fresh air after all of the terrible darkness of the Yuzen Vong War. We go from entire galaxy narrowly escaping destruction to when we play pranks on you we steal your clothes. Exactly. <laughs> While also, you know, stopping people who are trying to restore the Empire. Yeah, all that, other days work for Race that Squadron. Too, but that's, that's just business as usual. I don't know if anyone's actually doing this, but if anyone happens to be following along with us and reading all of these books for the first time, so you just did skip from the end of the New Jedi Order to this book without having a lot of knowledge of what's in between, I'd be really curious. Just, like, put it in the hashtag on Twitter. Like, let us know whether that worked for you, whether that was a fun way to experience the EU or not. Yeah. Yes. I do... So I do remember... When this book first came out, it came out like two weeks, maybe three weeks before Dragon Con. And there was a panel on Monday morning, Monday afternoon. It was like one of the last panels of the con where we just a whole bunch of us just sat in the room and talked about the book with Aaron Alston. Uh, And there was this one guy there who was like trying to ask all the typical author questions. And then basically his fan club, who was me, Nancy, Brian, and all the rest were just like asking these intense questions about like Jasmine's family tree and how much did you cry reading Run's death? And someone in the room asked, I haven't read it yet. Is it safe to come back? Which to me insinuated that she hadn't read anything really in a while. And we're all like, yes, yes, come back. So I know at least some people have, they've at least, you know, people might have dropped off maybe around a certain darkness situation mm-hmm. did come yeah. back and pick the book up again so I would yeah. say this is a high point of that chronological era uh, yes yes I definitely would too there wasn't a ton of competition exactly yeah um, but no yeah like I'm glad I'm glad we went through this and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it too and I'm also really proud of all three of us for actually reading the book early like <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. we were all reading it last week, and that has never happened before. <laughs> we're this all is unprecedented. Like, we did good, guys. <laughs> we did good. Uh, See, we uh, have a little bit of time management. Yeah, for Wraith Squadron. Yeah, also, wow. I need to deal with the comics. I just forgot about that. Um, oh, oh, true. Oh, well. yeah. Anyways, let's wrap up. Where can people find you guys in social media? Rocky. I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter. 
yes, yes, I know you probably found me because of Star Wars stuff. You also get Cars, World of Warcraft, other random opinions, and coffee. Megan. I'm at blog full of words on Twitter. Lately, I'm talking about Star Wars, Destiny, Mass Effect, and the government marketplace open enrollment for health insurance. Fascinating. (laughs) And I am Chaos Bria, where I took a brief detour to talk about things like Resistance Reborn, and I've been yelling about Inferno Squad and how Zay and Triv are precious all the last week. Uh, But aside from that, I'm usually yelling about, you know, Dragon Age and uh, NaNoWriMo, which is happening right now. And with that, I think we are done this week's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. If you like what you hear, you can support the network on Patreon. Join us next time when we read Rogue Planet by Greg Bear. You can read and tweet along with us and send us in questions by using the hashtag Boncast. Thanks for listening, and until next time, yub yub, Commander. (laughs) 